Uh, If you open up in your Bibles with me, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to pray for our message today and for the ministry of Streetlight uh, as as we go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that this is a day where we celebrate a new life, Lord God, and we get to hear about the new life that is available to those, Lord, who have lost hope. And we pray uh, that you would work, Lord God, that you'd provide, that you would anoint the leadership and the ministry of Streetlight Mission. We thank you, Lord God, for uh, weaving our stories together, and we pray, Lord, that out of, uh, out of this opportunity, even, we would see lives changed and transformed for your purposes, Lord God, and we would see that area of Elizabeth, New Jersey, and beyond, Lord God, throughout our county, transformed by lives that are turning themselves over to you. Lord, we pray now that you'd speak to us through your word, that you would continue to inform us, Lord God, and form our lives, that you would challenge us through what we read today, and you would change us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. We are in a series of messages called New in 42, and if you're new here today with us, this is the very final message to this series. I'm looking forward to next week, we're going to begin a brand new series called The Heart of the Father, The Father's Heart, and it's going to be on uh, God's heart as a father. And uh, I'm excited to be able to step into that series of messages, and we'll begin that next week. But as we reach the end of this series, what we've done is our goal has been to read through the Bible together through a portion of Scripture that we find at the very end of the Bible. It goes from the book of Acts all the way to Revelation, and it is the story of the church that changed the world. You may know it as Acts and Romans and Galatians and Revelation and all of these books in between, but what it truly is, is it is the narrative and the unfolding of the early New Testament church. It's the church that Jesus said would exist, that he would found, and that the gates of hell would not prevail against. And so what we've been doing as a church is we've set it as our goal in 2015, is that when we reach the end of this year, we want to look more like the church that we read about in the Bible than we ever have before. Because as you read the story of the church that changed the world, you see the way that they live their lives. You see the way that God moved in such powerful ways. And for us as a church, we have said, we long to see that again in our day. How many know that because Jesus is alive, because the Holy Spirit has been made available and poured out, that we can experience the same things that we read about in the Bible? Does anyone else understand and believe that? That's God's promise to us. And therefore, we long to see that as our story. So each week we've unpackaged one principle or one attribute about the church that changed the world. And as we reach the end of this series now, and and we had wrapped up the reading plan last week, some of you are still playing catch up and getting to the end of it, but press on. Uh, We want you to make sure that you can finish out the reading. We are taking a moment now to really ask the bigger question, because what we say here is it is a story of the church that changed the world. What started as a group of followers of Jesus, uh, 12 of them, which quickly turned to 11 of them because one of them, even among his closest ranks, uh, came against him, really turned on him and turned him over to the authorities. And out of that group grew a group of believers that eventually met in an upper room after Jesus had risen from the dead and a little over 100 people experienced uh, the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, were a part of the early church 3,000 people then joined that church on that very day whenever they heard about what Jesus Christ has done for them. And the rest is history. And the history is a church that literally changed the world. And I believe today, as we look at the 
the continued uh, tensions that we see, the outbreaks of issues, of disease, of famine, as we see uh, wars and violence, as we see injustices. Uh, We have so many things that are being passed as ways of, of combating these things. I believe the answer is really one thing and one thing alone. We need God to move in power in this day again. And we need to see God come into situations and bring about healing, hope, restoration, reconciliation. We can look in so many different ways, but we believe if we follow Jesus Christ that he is the only answer for the hurt and pain in this world today. Does anyone else believe that? And I believe that his love is greater than anything that we witness, anything that may overwhelm you whenever you read in the news. You can see reports that will just depress you and fill you with grief as you say, what is the world coming to today? But I believe that we serve a God who is greater than all the injustices and all the tragedies, all the pain and all the sickness that we see in this world. And so today we're going to talk about what does it mean to truly be a church that could change the world. And is that really possible? Because when you talk in those kinds of terms, you'd say, yeah, to change the world. How how could someone change the world? How could just a group of people change the world? Well, it happened before, and I believe God is preparing for it to happen again, that those uh, who follow Jesus will be a part of seeing this world changed for the better. And so when you ask that question, how do you change the world? That's a very big question. It may even sound like an impossible one. And I'm reminded of a story that I heard. It was during the Korean War. There was a a general that was in place, and he served our country for uh, for decades. And he was serving, and he came across a task with his uh, followers, those that are a part of his infantry unit. Uh, They had to go about something that was impossible, seemingly uh, unable to happen at all. And while they're talking with him, talking with this man, and they said, Sir, we don't know how we're ever going to be able to do what you're asking us to do. It's, it's bigger than we are. Logistically, it just isn't going to be able to happen. Strategically, we can't make anything happen. It just, it just feels impossible. How are we, with our limited resources, with our limited manpower, ever going to really make this happen? And he turned to them, and he said one of his very famous quotes, and it comes in the form of a question. He said, well, answer me, sirs, how do you eat an elephant? And they said, what does that have to do with anything? And he said, no, answer me, how do you eat an elephant? He said, you can't eat an elephant. An elephant's really big. And we don't have any elephants around here. What are you talking about? And he said, no, wrong answer. The way you eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And so what he was getting across to them and trying to help them see is that they were thinking too small and that whenever they look at a task that seems so big, it's about focusing in one direction and seeing that it can happen. It can happen. It's going to take a while. It may be bigger than they are, but it will happen one step at a time. That's something that we need to understand today as we look at God's word. Because we do see the story of the church that changed the world. The world was changed as a result of what happened on Calvary 2,000 years ago when Jesus died for our sins. The world was continually changed, not just by that act and that event happening in history, but by what happened as a result of it. And so if we answer the question, how does the church change the world? The answer is by changing one life at a time. It's one bite at a time, one step at a time, one life at a time. And the world will be changed whenever lives are being changed. Eventually, that has an impact in a trickle, ripple out effect that will bring about great widespread transformation. 
So if you answer that question, how do you change the world? It starts with changing a life. So a changed world ultimately begins with a changed life. And we as a church, that's why we exist. We exist so that people will come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. See, we believe that if you come into a relationship with Jesus and you decide to follow him, that choice in that relationship is meant to transform your life forever, for actually for eternity. And so we exist for that very reason, that people will enter in to that life-changing relationship with Jesus, that you would come here, and after we've been together, we've worshiped God, heard from his word, taken part in ministry, that we would leave different, changed by God's goodness, by his power, and by his spirit's touch. And so if we want to see the world changed around us, it starts with that changed life. We believe as one life is changed, it has a ripple effect out to others' lives, and there is a chain reaction of transformation that will happen. That one life that's been changed, as they go and they share with another person, that life might be changed. And so what we call that is our vision. We're about changed lives, changing lives. That as we do what we read about in Scripture and as we carry out what we read about in the story of the church that changed the world, we see our vision become a reality. We see changed lives changing lives. But it all starts with what? A changed life. Back in January, we spent a whole series of messages talking to you about what it means to live a changed life. See, when we are introduced to Jesus, our life is not meant to stay the same. We're no longer living without hope. We're no longer living in our sin because of Jesus, we can experience forgiveness, transformation, healing, reconciliation. We experience all the promises of what God's word says. Our life is truly changed. And so today, if we want to understand what it means to be the church that changed the world, the church that changed the world was a church full of changed lives. And so we're going to go back and take a look at what we've talked about as part of our vision of a changed life and how we see through the story of the church that changed the world, we see that transformation happening inside of hearts and lives. If you look down to the right of your pew, you're going to see that we have some cards. These were cards that we handed out earlier this year, and you can feel free to pass those down if you want to. There might be someone in your pew that doesn't have a copy of it. But I encourage you to take that card because it gives you an acronym that we have put together to help explain what it means to live a changed life. If you want to know what it means to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, what it means to really come into relationship with him and have a life that is different as a result of it, you'll see that listed on this card here. We're going to go kind of point by point through that and understand what it means that the church that changed the, wor the world lived the changed life. First, it starts with C. And does anyone remember what C stands for in the changed acronym? Connected to the body. Some of you are cheating because you now have the card in front of you. That's okay. Uh, that connected to the body means that you're a part of community, that you're a part of really what it means to not just come to church, but to be the church together. To be connected to the body means that you don't just fill a pew, but that you really share life with others around you as a part of the church. We see this evidence inside of the story of the church that changed the world. We see it in Acts chapter 2, that as the church came together, it wasn't about a worship service once a week, but instead it was about them sharing life together. Acts 2, starting in verse 42 and 43. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. As 
we live out the life that God has for us, one of the first things that you need to realize is that you were created to be a part of community. You were created to be a part of the body of Christ. Jesus said, you can't do anything apart from me. That the first commandment is that we're called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus reminds us in John 15 that we're called to be connected to him. And then if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're also called to be connected with others, our, our brothers and our sisters in Christ, in the Lord as a part of the body of Christ. The church is more than a service. It is the community of faith coming together and sharing life together. It's powerful when this happens. It's powerful when you find yourself connecting beyond a Sunday morning experience. Whenever you realize that you share more than just a pew, you share life with the people around you. We've just concluded one of the greatest group seasons that I believe we've ever had as a church. We were able to go through and see an amazing amount of people sign up to read God's word together, to pray with one another, and to share life together as a part of our reading plan. Here's a picture of one of the groups that was meeting, and they sent this to us right as they were concluding. Some of you might see yourself there, um, but they said they had an amazing time. We saw a lot of testimonies about how God met them and how they prayed for one another and how they pray for one another to get jobs and for situations that were difficult, for them to follow up and for them to share meals and to really share life together. That's what we were created for, church. And then whenever we see us being the church, that's what's happening all around us. I think one of the most powerful examples of this happened a few weeks ago when we lost a sister who went to be with the Lord. And whenever I was a part of the funeral and I went over to the repast afterward, which is happening in our overflow space, to see members of the small group there serving the meal, to see members of the small group present because they had been walking alongside of a family and because they had connected in community and developed friendships and a love for one another, they were able to be with one another even during difficult and dark days. That's what it means to be connected to the body, caring for one another. The H in the changed life means that we're hungry for God, that there's a hunger for God, that our hunger isn't for the things of this world, isn't for status or wealth, it's for something that's greater than that. This world has a, a thirst and a hunger for things that will never satisfy it. Some of you know what that means. Pastor Paul and Karen, they have the opportunity so often to come across people who have really lost their lives. They one time had a job and had a career and had all kinds of things and one thing led to another. And what happened in so many people's situation is they develop a hunger, an addiction, a thirst for something in this world and they find that everything they reach for does not satisfy it. More status doesn't satisfy it. More relationships doesn't satisfy it. More drugs or alcohol or relationships or sin, anything does not satisfy it. In fact, it only makes them more and more hungry. It's like someone trapped in a life raft drinking salt water to try to survive. The more they drink it, the more thirsty they become, the more dehydrated and depleted their bodies really become until eventually they die. See, this world... So often they're trying to fill a void in their life that they never will. But God promises that if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, after God, then we will be satisfied. He's the only one that can really satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And today, if you're running and if you feel that you have a void in your life, know that there's nothing that can satisfy that outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the secret to being satisfied. Paul talks about this secret that he has come to understand, a mystery that he has finally been able to get insight into. As he is in prison for following Jesus and for being a follower of his, 
he begins to receive uh, correspondence from different churches and from different people that he has met along the way during his journeys. And as Paul's writing letters to them, he's writing to a church in Philippi to really thank them for their support of him. And as he's writing to them to thank them for the support that they gave him, he un, uh, really unveils something that we need to understand today about what it means to hunger for God. He says in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity to give. Not that I speak from want, because I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret to being filled and going hungry, to having abundance and suffering need. Here it is. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. That's the secret. That is, he said, I don't need anything else in this world because I find that when I have God, when I have Jesus at the center of my life, I can do all things. In fact, he said, compared to knowing Jesus, he considers everything else rubbish, trash, compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord and his Savior. To hunger for God ultimately means that you long and desire for him in your life more than anything else. And whenever we do that, we will be satisfied, we will be filled. But if we're longing for other things above and beyond what God wants to give to us, then we will find ourselves continually unsatisfied, longing for something more that will never quite meet the need. I've talked about those that P Pastor Paul and Karen minister to, and you may think those are the only people that have that kind of uh, problem inside of their heart or in their life. But you need to know that filling this sanctuary today and last service and all across the world, there are people that come together that will sing songs and will take part in church services, but inside of your life, Jesus isn't yet at the center and because of that, you still have a deep hunger, a void in your life that is not being filled and it will never happen until you finally surrender your heart and your life to him. Only then, when you cease striving and just wait upon him that he will meet you right where you are. If you've never done that today, you'll have that opportunity. Begin to pray and allow the Lord to open your heart for that opportunity. The A in the changed life is about actively sharing Jesus with others. And some of you, as you've heard this before and you've gone through this, you, you wish that that A was a P because then you say, I'm actually living this out. And that would be passively sharing Jesus. Uh, and so some of you, what that would mean would be that if someone came up to you and said, hey, I'm feeling like I have a big issue in my life and I don't know um, who this Jesus is, will you tell me about him and what it means to have a relationship with him? And you say, if that happened, then sure, I'll share Jesus with others. If someone comes to me and literally asks me, who is this guy Jesus uh, that I'm reading about in the Bible? Can you explain him to me? You'd say, okay, I'll do it then. Some of us were waiting for that opportunity. We say, God, just bring people into my life that will come to me and just ask me about Jesus. We're not called to do that. We're called to go out into the world. We're not called to wait for anyone to come to us, but we're called to be active in sharing who he is, making the most of every opportunity. See, so often there are people that will come by us, that will come around us, and they'll have a multitude of needs. They'll have life needs, they'll have difficulties, they'll have trials, they'll have relational issues. And so often you can look at those needs and you can say, I don't have what they need right now. I can't help them in that trial or that difficulty. But what you may be forgetting is what you have is what will meet their greatest need, and they need to know about that first and foremost. You have Jesus 
I'm reminded of that principle when I read in Acts chapter 3. Because there's a man that sits by the gate, beautiful, and he sits there every single day. And he had been sitting there, I'm sure, well, when Jesus passed him by, who knows how many times he would have been passed by by Jesus himself, by Jesus' followers. But on this particular day, as they were going to worship the Lord, something different happened. As they were walking by and he was begging for money, look what it says in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 3. When Peter and John were about to enter, they asked him for some money. And whenever he asked them for some money, Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. And the layman looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Do you know what they realized in that moment? They didn't have what he wanted, but they had what he needed, Jesus. And so often people in this life, they feel like they know what they need when at reality, whenever in essence what they truly need is they need a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the one that will only satisfy the deepest need and longing inside of their lives. They realized they didn't have silver, they didn't have gold, but what they had was Jesus' name and in the power of his name, that man's life was changed forever. Don't forget the power of what Jesus has done in your life. Don't forget the power of what he has done to change you. And don't ever forget that what he's done in you, he can do in the person right next to you. And he even desires to do that in people all around you that don't yet know him. How many of you believe today that Jesus has done a transforming work in your life? Where would you be without him? And how many of you can identify one person that he has not yet come into relationship with, that you know God can change their life as well. Don't forget what you have. You have the message of the gospel. You've been given the greatest news ever, and don't shy away from sharing that with him, with whoever it is that God's put inside of your path. Whenever we have opportunities to go out and to be a part of ministries, I'd encourage you to take advantage of those. Allow those to be a time where God will shape and allow you to walk in really what it means to actively share your faith. We have different teams that go out and share in evangelism. You can sign up for this opportunity through Streetlight. And in July, on the 25th and 26th, we're going to be having a special guest with us, Pastor Jesse Owens. He's not the one from the Wheaties box. He's someone else. Um, he's going to be with us, and he's going to share in a training for evangelism on what it means to go out and share your faith with others. I want you to be a part of that. It's a part of your continued growth in the Lord. The end in the changed life, it means nurturing your spiritual growth. It means that you take your relationship with God seriously, seriously enough to invest in reading God's word and praying and maintaining a daily walk with him. I love the example that we get in Acts chapter 17. And it's about a group of believers in Berea. And these group of believers, as they come in contact with those that are sharing about Jesus they don't just listen to the message, but that they truly study the Bible, the scriptures of that time, and they come out to see what the truth really is. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse, uh, verse 11 and 12. It says, And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And what happened as a result? As a result, many Jews believed as did many prominent Greek women and men. Lives were changed because of their obedience to God's word. And so I would encourage you, spend time reading the scriptures. Spend time in prayer. Spend time worshiping. Spend time taking your relationship with God seriously and investing in it. 
It's not just a one and a half hour a week sermon or service on a Sunday. It is a time every day set aside to grow in the Lord. And as we grow in the Lord, it's meant to come out of our lives in the way that we're generous with what we have and what we do. And this G stands for generous stewards that we literally uh, live out this calling and this example we see in Scripture. To be generous steward means that we understand what a steward is. A steward is someone that's been entrusted with something that is not their own. We believe today that everything we have, we've been given that from the Lord himself. He is the one that is the author of life. We believe that he has supplied for us. And therefore, we ultimately, if we have given our lives to him, everything we are is his. And as a result of that, we want to be generous to make sure we put a priority in giving of ourselves into the things that matter most to the heart of God. There are three things that God has entrusted you with in this life. He's given you time, a very fixed amount of time, minutes, seconds, weeks, months, years that you will live in this life, that you would use those wisely and to his glory. He's given you special skills and talents. He's given you something that you've been uniquely created with and a purpose to fulfill with your talent that you're being generous unto the Lord. And he's given you treasure. He's given you material things that he's blessed you with and given you responsibility over to use wisely for his glory. And in each of those areas, we are called to be generous when it comes to his kingdom, when it comes to the things that matter most to the heart of God. And we see that example in scripture. Acts chapter two continues that all the believers met together in verse 44. They shared everything they had. They even sold their property and possessions and they gave money to those in need. They worshiped together each day and they took meals together. They shared their meals with great joy and what? Generosity. And as a result of that each day, they met the needs of all the people. If anyone had any need, they gave them what they needed and they enjoyed goodwill among all the people. And day after day, the Lord was adding to their fellowship, to their numbers, those who were being saved. As a result of their generosity, what happened? More lives were changed. This is just one example of many. I'll invite Pastor Brian and the worship team to come forward. We see incredible examples of what it means to live out these parts of the changed life and how it impacts others. As we reach E, it means that we are living empowered by the Holy Spirit. To live empowered by the Holy Spirit is really what the church began on. The day of Pentecost, which we celebrated last Sunday, 2,000 years ago, this group of believers were waiting in an upper room for a promise that Jesus made to become a reality. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. To be his witness means that they were representing him. And as they were his witnesses, they were living proof that Jesus is alive. And the way that they bore witness to that was not just with words, but with a demonstration of power. That where they went, lives were being changed as a result of it because their lives were changed. But he said, it all starts with this. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's really impossible for us to live the life that Jesus has called us to, a changed life, without relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That happens first whenever we come into relationship with Jesus. He said he takes away our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh and that he will put his spirit in us. And we have the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead alive and at work in us. So many of us, we are leaning on our own strength and our own power, on our own wisdom when we need to stop doing that because God has given us everything we need through our knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord and through the power of the Holy Spirit.
Because it says it's not going to be by might or by power, but what? By my spirit, says the Lord. And as we live that empowered life and as we rely upon the work of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't just enable us to live the life that we have every single day, but he also gives us power to be a witness for Jesus in this world. That where we go, others can come to know Jesus when we don't know what to say, that he will speak through us. Are you relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit in your life today? Because he wants to do a great work in you and through you as you desire to live a changed life for Jesus. And finally, D stands for discipling others. And where would we be without Jesus coming into our lives and changing us? And I could take that one step further and say, and then where would I be without someone coming alongside of me and helping to lead me towards Jesus? Where would I be without that relationship? Someone who came as a mentor, as someone who walked with me and said, follow me as I follow after Jesus. And today, if you just have known Jesus for a little while, you need to get connected with someone. And we have people here even in our church that would connect with you, that could walk alongside of you, that can show you what it means to follow Jesus. Some of you, you've been with the Lord for a long time. And you remember that you needed that at one point in time. And I believe God's ready to start tapping some of you right in your heart and saying it's time for you to raise up and for you to begin to disciple others and walk alongside of them and lead them in the ways of the Lord. And I love in God's word that we have the example of that happening in the church that changed the world. This man named Paul, whose life was so radically changed, pulled alongside of him a young boy named Timothy. And as he poured his life into him, he saw him go on to do great things for God and become a pastor and a leader. And as he's writing to him, as Paul's reaching the end of his life, he writes this letter. And as he's writing to Timothy, he says this one piece that just stands out to me. And it shows all about what it means to disciple others. He said, but you, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.10, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith and my patience and my love and my endurance. He said, Timothy, I've allowed you close enough to my life that you know what matters most to me. You know my faith. You know Jesus who I'm following. You know my endurance. You've seen what I've seen and you've followed God as I followed him. Do you have anyone in your life right now if you've been walking with the Lord that you're able to walk alongside of and say, follow me, just as Paul follow me as I follow Jesus. It's a part of the expectation of what he's called you to. And without that, you're just a changed life, but God's calling you to change others' lives and walk alongside of others. There are people that I'm sure are not far from you that need that. So it's time to step up and step into that and say, Lord, who would you put in my life that I could walk alongside of, that I could begin to point towards you and lead them into what it means to have a life-changing relationship with you. As you take a look at that card today, if it was in your pew and you passed it down, we see what it means to live that changed life. And we'll put that back up on the screen here. You can see what each letter represents. That you're connected or hungry and actively sharing Jesus, nurturing spiritual growth, generous, empowered, discipling others. And today, if we want to really know what it means to change the world 
It starts with a changed life. A changed world begins with a changed life. And we will see the world around us changed one life at a time. And it starts with you and it starts with me. So are you willing to live out that changed life? This is an opportunity for you to check in because over 800 of you earlier this year said, I am going to live that changed life. Well, where are you today? How are you doing with that? For some of you, seeing God grow you. You become connected and you're getting involved and you're really living what God has for you. Others of you, you're not there yet. Maybe you've forgotten about it. Maybe it's the first time you're hearing about this today. What I'd like for every single one of us to do at this point in time is to take a look at that list that's there or maybe the card in front of you and right before the Lord, would you just ask the Holy Spirit to point out one area and we'll put that list back up there on the screen. Just one area that God would challenge you, that you feel he's tugging on your heart, that you want to see yourself grow in today, starting today. Point out one, maybe two of them and say, Lord, by your Spirit's power, would you help me to live a changed life? Would you help me in this area specifically? I'm committing that I want to grow in this area. As you've identified that area, we're going to just seal that in prayer together. And we're going to pray that God gives you opportunities to make the most of that. So would you stand with me this morning? All of us, let's stand around this room. We're going to close in prayer. And I want you to keep that in mind, what that area might be. And as we're getting ready to close, if there's anyone here that you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, I want you just to close your eyes and bow your heads with me in this moment. And today, that's really where a changed life begins is is with a relationship with Jesus that you have asked him to forgive you of your sins. You've asked him to be your Lord and your Savior. And you're finally ready to let him have the rightful place in your life. Today, with every head bowed and eye closed, I'm not here to embarrass anyone. But I know that there might be some among us that you have not yet responded to the Lord's invitation. If you would like to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and forgive you of your sins, if that's you, with no one looking around, I want you just to lift your hand above your head right here so I could pray for you. Amen. Amen. I see hands going up all around. Is there anyone else? Amen. If you're watching online or in any other format, I encourage you to lift your hand before the Lord right now. He sees you. And I'm going to pray, and I want you just to say this prayer from the bottom of your heart as just a, a chance to surrender to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I commit to follow you all the days of my life. I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me and I will follow you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for giving me a new life. In your name I pray, amen. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd come into these lives now, Lord, those that have called out to you, even for the first time, for those that are coming back to you, Lord God. I pray that they would feel that change, that transformation at this very moment, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd put people around them that would begin to help lead them towards what it means to have a relationship with you. Lord, help them to grow. Help them to be encouraged daily. Help them to see your provision in their lives. Lord, I pray for each one of us today, every person that has seen the challenge, Lord God, that desires to be a part of that church that changed the world, that, Lord, it starts with a changed life. And, Lord, we just hold our lives before you. And, Lord, we pray. We pray that you would meet us with your power and with your strength, that you'd hear every commitment in every heart today. 
Lord God, would you help us to become more connected, Lord? Would you help those that need to step out and share their faith more, Lord God? For those who are struggling with generosity, with those who need to grow more by nurturing their own growth with you, Lord God. Lord, lead us, meet us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to worship the Lord together here. We're going to continue to to reflect on what the Lord has been speaking to us through his word. I'd encourage each of you, if you've not yet filled out that card, feel free to fill that out and hand it to an usher, the the ripoff piece on your way out, and hold on to that as a reminder of what it means to live that changed life. We're going to have altar workers here to pray with you. We're going to worship together. Please save any of your conversations for the foyer, and we'll see you again next week. God bless you.